Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Well, good morning, church family. How are you today? Awesome. Would you join me in welcoming our guest as well? Thank you so much. We're so glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, today I want to uh, jump into a, a couple topics today that I'm calling, uh, what am I calling? I've got lessons in church leadership. There we go. Sorry, I just lost my train of thought, but I want to welcome you to church and tell you we're going to jump into this on leadership, some church lessons and I think you're going to find it interesting, intriguing, and I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. But before I do that, I want to just celebrate for a moment some of the things that happened this week in our church. So if you were here on Monday night, we celebrated, uh, uh, gosh, I'm just losing my brain up here. We celebrated Celebrate Recovery. So uh, too many celebrates, but it was an amazing night in here. Uh, gosh, we had a house packed with people that were just worshiping God and, and supporting uh, the 10 year anniversary of Celebrate Recovery and Jody Rife. And it was just a great experience. Uh, our worship team was here. They did an amazing job. And then Thursday night, we had our worship night here, another packed house of people. And we were just worshiping our hearts out. The presence of God was here. I had an opportunity to speak and, and preach a little bit about the baptism, the Holy Spirit and people receiving. And it was just an amazing night here. And so the next time we have a worship night, I highly encourage you to come be a part of it. Amen to that. So listen, before I jump into my message, I want to talk just a moment about the Asbury Revival, the Asbury College Revival. Have y'all heard about that? Um, amazing thing going on. Well, if you haven't heard, I, I feel like as a, as a pastor shepherd of a church, this church, that we would be amiss if I don't pause for a moment and talk about that because something powerful is happening in America and I don't want to ignore it and I don't want to miss being a part of it as God is in, on the move. And so if you're not familiar, Asbury College up in Kentucky had their, a, a normal uh, uh, service, their, their chapel service. And when they ended, some of the students stayed behind and continued to pray and seek God. And then some of the students who had gone on to class heard that some of the students had stayed and they started coming back in because they wanted to pray together. And over the course of the day, the chapel filled back up with 1,500 students. And I think they were just glad to cut class as much as anything, but, but they came into the chapel and began to worship and now we are 11 days later and they haven't stopped worshiping and praying 24 hours a day. I, I heard that some of the students start bringing in their mattresses into the chapel so they could just be in the presence of God the entire time. And so I'm so sparked by this that I just, I'm, it just causes me to, to pray into it and say, God, what are you doing in America? And what are you doing in the universities? And can you do it here? And, and so I, I'm, just, I'm just so excited about it. One thing that I um, learned though, this isn't the first revival that Asbury College has had. Um, they've had actually multiple revivals. Uh, one that I'll mention was in 1970 and they had a normal chapel service. 
And it just continued kind of like what is happening now. But the result of that was that 130 other universities around the country heard about it and began to also experience revival services in their, their schools as well. And it sparked a nationwide revival. And I say that because today we're hearing stories of other universities are hearing about what's happening in Asbury and they are beginning to have these sparks of revival in universities all over our nation. And I just am so excited to see God on the move and he's working through the young people. And, and, and listen, I wanna see God move in America. I also wanna pray into, we have a university that's here in our city and I wanna see God spark revival here as well. And I would love just carry it on in my own heart and into our church. And so I'm just, I'm just pumped about this revival that's happening. And um, so listen, a couple things about revival though. It's not something that you and I can manufacture. We cannot force revival. It is, it is a God birth, God born thing. But what we can do is build an altar for God to come and set it on fire. So we can, we can participate and pray for God to do something to spark that revival and we build that altar. And so what do I mean by build that altar? And so some of the characteristics of a revival would be that there is a lot of repentance happening. In other words, people are are confessing their known sins in their life and they're just getting their heart right with God. And, and in this Asbury revival, I heard that one of the students towards the end stood up of this first service and began to confess his sins to everyone there. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another. And he just stood up under the conviction of God and said, this is what's going on and began to confess. And there was a room full of grace and it was a room that was of no judgment and it sparked people to begin to confess their sins and get their hearts right with God. And so for us as a church, I want this to be that type of atmosphere to where you feel that you can get your heart right with God in an atmosphere of grace and no judgment. I, listen, all of us have issues in our life. And there's no way any of us should look at someone else and, and judge them for their repentance. We ought to celebrate people that are getting their heart right with God. So one of the ways we build the altar is we have a, a house, a church that, that, is, that is just full of grace. I, I, honestly, I think repentance is making a comeback. I think that we've missed that, that element too long in our churches. The second thing we do to build that altar is, is hunger. There's a passion for worship. There's a passion for prayer. Uh, there's, there's, there's a passion for gathering together. And, and listen, this is something that we choose. Do you know passion is something you choose? You can, you can decide whether or not you wanna be passionate about worship and passionate about prayer. You, it's, it's up to us. And so we can build that altar with a passion for God and passion for his presence and a passion for gathering together as a church body and worshiping and praying. And so that's one of the ways we build that altar. The third thing to build that altar is by the Holy Spirit. We, we welcome the Holy Spirit into our church and we ask him to give us boldness in the spirit, boldness to, 
to be able to leave this building and to profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You need boldness to stand for God in your schools and boldness to stand for God in your workplace and boldness in this culture to say, I'm a Bible-believing Christian and I stand on godly values. And, and the Holy Spirit can give you that boldness. We need boldness to invite people to church. Uh, we need to be able to say, God, we want these people to come and I'm going to invite them to come so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ, so they can repent of their sins. That's what revival is all about, is people getting their life right with God. And so we can build that altar. And so what I'm going to do is at the end of the service today, we're just going to pray into revival. And so when I finish my lesson today on church leadership, I'll park back on that before we do our baby dedications and just pray about the revival. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, listen, lessons on church leadership. The reason I'm teaching this is because uh, next Sunday, we're going to have an ordination service as part of our church service. And we're going to ordain two people on our ministry team into ministry. And ordination is an important part of church life. And so I'm just going to have a message today that's really just for our church body. And so this is your pastor shepherding our church body today. I remember my ordination service back in 1998. And I was at Dr. Frank Harvey's church under his leadership, New Covenant Church, Waynesville, North Carolina, Western North Carolina. But Pastor Frank preached this fiery message that day about preach the word. And he, you know, looked me square in the eye and he said, that's your call. Preach the word, preach the word. I think he found every verse in the Bible that said, preach the word. And he read it to me and he's like, preach the word, Tim, preach the word. And then after that, we had the, the ceremony portion or the, the laying on of hands portion. And so he and another man, they laid hands on me and they prayed for me. And my pastor had this large bottle of anointing oil and he poured every bit of that on my head till it ran all over my head. And it took a week to get that all out of my hair. But, uh, but listen, I'm so grateful that my pastor recognized the call of God on my life and he ordained me into ministry. And I still think about that moment today and it gives me confidence in my ministry. So I wanna talk about that today. So what is ordination in the church? And so I'll, I'll let the Bible help teach us out of the book of Acts chapter 13. It says this, it says, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and by the way, you're getting ready to see an ordination service here in the scripture. It says, these men were worshiping and fasting, um, worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, appoint. Now the word appoint here could mean ordination. It could mean set aside. All these are the same type terminology, but appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work. And here you have special work, that's ministry. So set aside, anoint, or appoint, or ordain Barnabas and Saul for the ministry to which God has called them. And so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way, commissioned them in their ministry. So an ordination for a church, and you'll see on the screen that the definition of this is a public recognition of God's calling upon an individual and the commissioning for ministry. And so that's what we're going to do as part of our service next week. And by the way, when you come next week, um, my pastor, Harriet and I have a pastor, but he's also an overseer in our church and he sits on the board of directors for our church, Pastor Steve Vigalis, and he will be here to be a part of that ordination service as well as he'll preach the message next week. 
So that'll be next week. And so I hope you'll come back for that. Um, we'll have it as part of our ministry portion of the service. And I'm excited that we're going to be ordaining two of our members of our, our church staff. And so I hope you'll come and celebrate as we ordain Harriet Blevins and Gina Lindbert into full-time ministry for us. Now, I will let you know that this is probably about 15 years too late. Um, so, um, but you know what? No time like the present. Um, we have never ordained anyone in our church. And so this is a first for us. And that's why I wanted to teach on it a minute. And so Harriet, I'm sorry it's taken us so long. It's not that God hadn't been on you. We're just figuring things out here. So amen to that. Um, but listen, uh, ordination is a very special moment for a church and for the person being ordained. And so there's another part in scripture, and I'll show you where the apostle Paul is encouraging a young pastor who he participated in the ordination service. And so Timothy is his name and Timothy was, was lacking some confidence in his ministry. So Paul wrote to him and he said in verse 14, he said, do not neglect your gift. In other words, do not neglect that, that, that impartation, the, the calling of God on your life, which was given you through prophecy with the presbytery, which means the organized group of leaders in the church. So when the presbytery laid their hands on you. And so he's teaching Timothy to be encouraged based on the fact that you've been ordained into the ministry. And the word here, gift, where it says, do not neglect your gift, that word in the Greek is charisma, which means the divine and spiritual favor and the anointing of God. And so when they laid hands on Timothy in, that, in this text, it was a recognition that God had anointed him for ministry and given him the gift to be able to do what God had called him to do. And so laying on of hands is both part of the ceremony, but it's a very spiritual moment as well. And so throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see examples of people laying hands on people. And so it would be like um, you could read where it says to lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. In the Old Testament, when they were anointing kings, they would lay hands on them and anoint them for their kingship. And so it's a practice that is part of the Old and New Testament to signify there is something that is happening both in a natural sense where we recognize it, but there's a spiritual sense of impartation when you lay hands. So in the Old Testament, it teaches that they would lift one hand to God and they would lay the other hand on the person that they were praying for. It was an indication that what they were doing is saying, I'm a channel and from God into this person is God's anointing, his healing, what he has called them to. So it's just a, it's just a, a vessel. So whoever is doing the laying of hands, just a vessel. There's nothing special about the person that lays on hands. It's all special about what God does. As a matter of fact, uh, often in our services, and Bailey led us, and she said, why don't you lift a hand to the screen? Well, we often say this is a way for us to help us focus and all that. But to be honest with you, we pull it right out of this text about laying on hands. This is your way of laying on hands of all of those people that have given a prayer request, and you're believing from God to these people, do your work and heal them. So when we lay hands on Harriet and Gina, we're believing that one, it's just a recognition of the call of God, but there's going to be a supernatural impartation into their life. There's going to be a greater gift and a greater anointing on their life. And, and listen, from what I've already seen from both of these ladies, they already carry great anointing. I can't wait to see it go even more. Amen to that. Amen. 
<clears throat> yeah, you can clap for that. So real quick, why is ordination important? Well, four things and I'll, I'll read to you and share with you, but ordination is important because it gives a public recognition and it validates men and women truly called and equipped by God for ministry. And it's important to publicly recognize people and go, God has called them and we see the gift of God in their life. Uh, number two, ordination provides a process that identifies men and women called into ministry. And the key word here is process because it's important that we don't put people into ministry or ordain people in the ministry who have not been through a process to determine their character and their, their righteousness of God in them. We don't want people of, of, of novice that are novice in the ministry to be ordained. We think it's important that there's a process and recognition that God's hand is on them. And so it gives us that ability to recognize that. And number three, ordination then gives the local congregation, which is our church body, confidence in the pastoral leadership of the church. So when we ordain people, I want you to know there's been a process of vetting. There has been character that has been seen, evidence. And so we're laying hands on them. And when we do that, you all can go, well, awesome. These are my pastors in my church and I can trust it because of the process and we recognize God's hands on them. So those are three great reasons. The fourth is this, that ordination gives the person that is being ordained the assurance and the encouragement and the affirmation of their calling of God. Because ministry is difficult at times. Uh, ministry is discouraging at times. It's challenging at times. And I'm not saying that ministry is harder than the call that God has on your life. Uh, all of us have challenges in what we're doing. There's a uniqueness in ministry though that I find. And young Timothy was struggling with his calling and so Paul is reminding him, and he said, don't neglect that gift. In 2 Timothy, he says this to, to Timothy again. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so he's saying, Timothy, don't forget this moment where we recognize God's hand is on you. So don't give up on the ministry. Don't be discouraged in the ministry and keep pressing forward in the ministry. And ministry has its moments where you think, man, is this really working? Am I really making a difference with my life? And honestly, it doesn't matter because it's not up to us because God called us, not man. And so we just be faithful. We just keep preaching the word as my pastor taught me. And God does the work. And so listen, it's an important moment for Harriet and Gina. Granted, super late for both of them, but it's just the moment we... we came to our realization, these are things that needed to be done and set these things into order. And the last thing I'll show you is Paul was teaching Timothy as he led his church about ordaining other ministers in his church. And he said to them in verse 22, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 22, he said, do not be hasty in laying on of hands. In other words, don't lay hands on people until you know they're ready. Don't, don't just let anyone proclaim to be a pastor or a preacher. There needs to be a process, a, a way to understand their character and, and are they really serving God and do they have the, the principles in place in their life that will sustain them and, and be able to help them minister the word of God. So he said, don't be hasty on laying on my hands. And he said, do not share in the sins of others and keep yourself pure. And what Paul is teaching him is that when you lay hands on somebody. When I lay hands on someone for ministry, for ordination, 
then I am giving my vote of credibility to that person. And if I do that with someone that's not prepared and they go and fall into sin and the sin of a pastor has widespread effects. You've all heard of pastors have fallen and how it devastates the church body and so many people. And so Paul's saying, don't lay hands on a novice because if they sin, they fall apart. It can hurt the whole church and that responsibility goes back to the one that lays hands on them. And so I think it's a weighty matter to ordain people. And so we want to make this a, a special moment in our church for both Harriet and Gina. And so next week we will pray for them, lay hands on them, prophesy over them and, and commission them into ministry that they're already a part of. Amen. Amen. Amen, church. Yeah, give that a clap. It's great. So um, the next thing on lessons on leadership, and I'm just hopping to a new topic, but it's extremely relevant where we are today. And so I'm just going to open a little can of worms uh, for, for us today. And I, I tend to do that and really enjoy it at times. But um, the, there's an obvious thing that you should notice that both Harriet and Gina are females. And many churches do not believe that women can be a ministry. And I want to give a biblical perspective for women in ministry. Because if the Bible doesn't say it, then we're not ever going to do it. And here's a thought, because when churches rely on culture to determine what the Bible says, they end up doing a lot of strange things. And so we're not going strange just because culture says that women's lib is something great. No, no, listen, if the Bible did not validate women in ministry, I wouldn't put them in ministry. All right, listen, too many churches have gone woke because they've let culture determine what the Bible says. We're not doing that. We're going to say, here's what the Bible says, and we're going to respond to it. Can I get an amen for that? So women in ministry, many churches have said no to that, and they have some, some reasons for that. And, and honestly, I can understand why some have interpreted scripture to say that way. Now, what they will do is they'll say to the women, you can be in children's ministry. You know, they're like, hey, we'll put you over there when nobody can see you. We'll let you do the hard work. But, you know, so listen, women, women have a place. And here's why, though, some churches have struggled. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And it says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. And so context of what I'm about to read you is that the apostle Paul was teaching about church order and there was disruption in the church in the meetings there in Corinth. So Paul said, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the meetings of God's people. And then he said, women should be silent. And by the way, man, this is a great time for you to be silent as I read these next couple verses. I'm just protecting you, all right? So women should be silent during the church meetings and it is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. And if they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. And so, wow, what a huge verse that really sounds like women should be submissive and quiet at all times in church. That's what it sounds like. And so what you need to do is to grab the context of this. Because what Paul was speaking on was ordered in the service and the women were disrupting the service. And so some well-intentioned people have taken this verse out of context 
to mean that all women in every church and in every generation should be silent, not preach or teach in church or even be ordained. But that's not what Paul was trying to address. He wasn't addressing women per se. He was addressing a church that was out of order. The women, they were disrupting the service. And they were asking questions in the middle of the service. This would be no different than if Luke, while I'm in the middle of my sermon, stands up and he hollers over here to Eli and says, hey, I got a question about what Tim just said. Let's have a chat about that. I'll be like, Luke, sit down, dude. I'm in the middle, we're having church here. And I mean, if Pastor Ron stood up and said, hey, I've been a pastor longer than you, Tim. I got something to say about that. Let me come up there. I'd be like, Pastor Ron, I love you. You're probably right, but sit down either way. Uh, you know, I mean, like, so, I mean, so it'd be disruptive. Now that wouldn't be anything, that wouldn't be to say that Luke could never say anything in church ever again. And it wouldn't be that I would never say Pastor Ron can never preach in our church again. It was just like in the context of order, that's out of order. And so Paul is saying to these women who, they must have been rowdy women, that's all I can assume. They must have been like, they really wanna know. They're like, we need to know right now. And Paul's like, listen, wait, we'll, we'll get to it. But here's the point. Paul was not addressing all women for all time. He was addressing specific women in a specific church with a specific issue about order in the church. And that's what Paul was trying to speak to. But if you read it out of context, it really sounds like Paul saying, hey women, be quiet forever. But that would not be in, in any keeping with how Paul wrote the rest of the Bible. He wrote half of the New Testament and he speaks about women in ministry all the time. And so let me, let me take you to another verse in 1 Corinthians. So we're still in the same church. So we're in the church at Corinth. We just read how it could sound like Paul told all the women to submit and be quiet. But then he goes on to say this. He says in verse four and five, same, same church. He says, a man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying and prophesying. Don't, don't pay attention to the covering stuff yet. It says, verse five, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. So before we talk about the covering, let's recognize that in the same church that Paul told women to be quiet, he is actually saying, here is how they should pray and prophesy in the church. Like that would be so contradictory if he told them never talk, but here's how you do talk, right? So like, so Paul couldn't be saying never ever. He's saying there needs to be order, proper order to this. And so he is saying, here's how you can participate in the church in Corinth. Now, what is the head covering all about? Well, um, some of it has to do with authority. So men would not wear a head covering to indicate they are in a place of authority. Women would wear a head covering to indicate they're under authority. And that was some of the original context. Also though, in the city of Corinth, there was a, a temple there for prostitutes and prostitution was a, a huge thing going on in the city. And so the women who were prostitutes would not cover their head to show their availability for, for stuff. I don't know how to say that. Just, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
Thank you, thank you. This is a good time for you to interrupt right now. If you want to disrupt the service, this is it. Pastor Ron, you got anything to say? I would use a little help here. <laughs> I think they understood. Um, so women who wore a covering were demonstrating that they were of purity. It was actually a statement of modesty, which is still relevant today, modesty, but that was how they demonstrated their modesty. And so Paul was saying that in order to prophesy, which in some translations even means preach, he's saying the ladies need to have covering. They need to be modest and there's a place for them. Paul was never saying you don't speak. He's like, but all our church services need to have order in what we're doing. Now, why do the men need to be uncovered? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you in a, a, a sense of humor, if I may. If women are supposed to wear it, then men are never supposed to act and dress like women. Okay, I'll just leave it there. I'll just leave it there. That's probably not exactly what it was all about, but it's probably about authority. But I thought that was fun anyway. So listen, the New Testament is full of examples of women participating in ministry. And so on the screen, you'll see this. The interpretation that women are not equally called is inconsistent with the broader view of the Bible. The broader view. And so let me read you some verses real quick as I begin to slowly land this plane. But there were women all through the New Testament that led house churches, which was the, the type of churches that they had uh, most often there. So in 1 Corinthians 1.11, you can write that down. Chloe was leader of a house church. In Philemon 2, Athea was a leader of a house church. Acts 16.40, Lydia was a, was a leader of a house church. And just to show you one of the verses, Colossians 4.15, Paul says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nymphia and the church that meets in her house. So she led a church there. So Paul couldn't be saying women be quiet at all times. There's context. Paul goes on to say, and I just want to overwhelm the, the point with scripture. Romans 16, three says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry. That would be like, hey, everybody welcome Herod and Gina, my co-workers in the ministry. Paul's recognizing that. Romans 16, six says, give my greetings to Mary who worked so hard for your benefit. Romans 16, 12, give my greetings to Trophia and Trophosa, the Lord's workers and dear to, uh, and dear to I, I don't know how Perseus, uh, Pastor Ron, thank you again for helping me, um, but who has worked so hard for the Lord, right? All these ladies in ministry. And then the last thing I'll share with you on that is that in the book of Acts, God does not discriminate between men and women and who he wants to lead in ministry. It says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men with dreams, dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy or preach. And so the Bible has a clear understanding that throughout the New Testament, women were involved in ministry. 
And are there verses that sound different? Absolutely. And the debate will go on way after me. But I do believe there is biblical evidence and credibility as we ordain two women into ministry that the Bible says that is good and well done. So listen, and I think it's important for us as a church to understand this context of women in ministry because honestly, I don't want half of our congregation to feel like God can't use them. Listen, I don't want all the women to think the only thing I can do is work in kids ministry. I want the women in this church to feel like God can use me in powerful ways. And so I wanna inspire that in you. I want the younger generation, if you're a parent and you have young girls, I want your young girls to see women being ordained so that your girls can go, well, if God can do great things through them, he can do great things through me. Amen. So parents, be sure your, your girls are in here watching that. And then you can sp speak to them for their destiny and say, listen, whatever God has called you to, he'll anoint you for it as well. Listen, we want to lift women. But with that said, I want us to respect the women of our house. God's call on them. But I want all the men to know this. And men, listen to me real, real, real close. Only weak men want to keep women down. Amen. Only weak men. And so what I'm doing is calling for strong men. Listen, the church needs strong men. The, the church needs strong women. But listen, empowering women is not disempowering men. And so we want men. Listen, I'm married to a really strong, powerful woman. And I got to like be strong. I got to hold my ground at times, you know, like I got this thing. And you know what? I'm proud to say I'm a strong man. I, I've got my masculinity in place and I'm fine with that. Ooh, okay, I can handle it. I can do push-ups when I need to. I'm fine. I'm a man's man. You know what? I watch football and I eat chicken wings. I'm fine. But also I want you to know as a man's man, I can look at a woman and say, you can be all that God called you to be. Amen. So, so next week's going to be a special day. I hope you'll be here for that. We'll have a reception after each service. The ladies will be there with families and we'll ask you to go through the reception and shake their hands and love on them. Um, I would even encourage you to take a, an extra step of honor for these ladies and maybe grab a card and, and write a note and, and thank them and, and just honor them. It's just honor appropriate. And so I would love for you to do that next week. So one last amen, church. Amen. amen. Well, listen, I'm going to pray quickly because we want to um, bring some of these adorable babies up here and pray for them before our service is over. But I want to just pray into the revival that's going on around our country and invite God to move in, in our church and our schools and in our life. OK, so we just take this moment. Let's just bow our heads and Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, I invite you here. Thank you for the message today, but God, I want to transition us to a, a moment of seeking you as a church body. And Lord, I'm, I'm feeling a spark of your move from what I see happening in Asbury College, God, and it makes me hunger for something here. And I have a, a picture of a, of a large bonfire that's happening at Asbury College, but as with large bonfires, there's always these sparks that begin to drift up with the smoke. And God, I pray that some of those sparks would land in universities around our nation and start a fire there as well. 
God, I pray that one of those sparks would come and land on UNCW, Father. God, I pray there would be some students there that would begin to gather and they would hunger for you, God. Lord, they would build that altar. And Lord, I pray that you would spark it, that you would cause revival to break out in a secular school, God. And we pray that. God, I pray for that spark from that bonfire, that it would drift onto my life, God, and spark me for greater passion for you. God, that there would be a, a greater desire in my heart for purity, Lord. Lord, just as David said, search my heart, God, I pray that each of us would want that, that spark to land on us so that we would search our hearts and repent and become clean before you, God. And God, I pray for it in our church, that our church would be hunger, be hungrier for your presence, God. Lord, that we would, we would have a, a fresh desire to, to know you and to repent and get our hearts right with you, God. God, I ask that you would move here. Lord, we build the altar. Only you can light the fire, God. But we're your altar. Would you burn, Father? And Lord, if there are people here that need to repent of their sins today, God, I call them to do so. If there are people here who have never begun a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to turn to him today. If you're here and you need to repent, you need to confess any known sin in your life, would you be bold enough to lift your hand to me and just lift it up and say, gosh, this the Holy Spirit just illuminated this. Or anybody here, I just, you need to repent of sin in your life, any place you've missed it. God, you see their hearts, God. I honor them for that move. And now if there are people here that have never begun a relationship with Jesus and you want to begin today, would you lift your hand to me and say, today I want to be saved. I see your hands. Is there anyone else I don't want to miss? Let's all pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. I turn to Jesus for salvation. I receive forgiveness of my sins. And as of today, I am saved. I am born again. I have a new life and the Spirit of God lives inside of me. In Jesus' name, can I get a great amen, church? Come on, a better amen, church. Amen. Amen.